Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. You know, you meet sometimes somebody that you just like from the first moment. Well, uh, I met Amit and I just liked him and we spoke and then we, 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 what did we do? What did we do? Probably ate <laughs> I or drank something. No, you gave me, you gave me a book. You gave me an e-book. I was searching for an e-book. Ah, yes, there pagan, you go. Pagan, what is it? Pagan Christianity? Yes. Is it pagan Christianity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It that's, was that's Spanish, right. Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, because I couldn't get it anywhere. Yeah. It's funny, in the bookstores, they didn't have it locally. Oh, man. So you, you helped me out. There you well, go. that's the introduction. Normally, I, I give it a big pitch, but that's it. <laughs> Here, we can be a bit cooler. Um, listen, when you walk into a room, mm. you sit down at the table, mm. and everyone looks at you, and they say, Amit, what do you do? Mm. What do you say to them? How do you introduce yourself? Oh, I say to them that I have one wife and four children. Okay. That's my focus. Yeah. Um, and my personal desire is to see others recognize that the kingdom of God is worth living and dying for. Even if it's not a Christian uh, Yeah, so at the local footy club, I probably wouldn't go there. No. Um, a lot of people, I'll, I'll talk about the family first and foremost. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, I'll mention the organization that I get to work with, which is yeah. Compassion. Yes. Um, and they usually say, oh, compassion, what's compassion all about? Yeah. And so I'll say, look, we focus on um, serving uh, local churches in developing countries yeah. to see children yeah. released from poverty. That's what I get to spend my time doing. Wonderful. And, um, and then the conversation usually goes from there. So yeah. everything to do with you revolves around children, mm. youth, young adults, mm. uh, teenagers. Yeah. So much. Yeah. And you've gone into that area for a big chunk of your life for teenagers. Yeah. But now, with compassion, you're mm. focusing obviously on smaller children. Yeah. But you haven't lost touch with with the young adults, are you? No, not at all. But I mean, we in compassion, we work with children up to the age of eighteen and, and sometimes beyond. Yeah. Um. So because the work of compassion is really on the ground in those developing countries. Yeah. Um, I don't get to be a part of that side of the expression sure. of the ministry. So I get to spend my time, say, here, well, isolated to Perth at the moment. We can't really travel anywhere else. Um, but I get to spend my time with communities of people and organizations that want to be a part of uh, what Compassion is doing. And so yeah. I still find a lot of my time is spending time with youth groups and young adult groups and yeah. in schools and at churches. So you, you present compassion in schools as well? We do, yeah. yeah there's quite a number For of partnership schools. or Yeah, there's many varieties. Sometimes it's because schools have a partnership with compassion. Sometimes it's schools want their kids to know about the needs that yep. are in the world. Yep. Yep. And so we get to come and share some of the stories from the field and sure. the work that we do and what inspires us. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, they're wanting just something fresh and different. And so we're able to serve them in that way. So you're full-time with Compassion at the moment I am, as a yeah. relational manager? Yes, that's right. Yep, full-time. What does Steve do? Uh, I don't know. I 
that's a good question. What does Steve do? Um, <laughs> no, no, he's also full time with the yeah. ministry. Um, hopefully, you can get him on the show, and he can share a little bit later on. Yeah, as I will. To I am. The work I'm, I'm, that he's he actually does. In. But we work both very, very like. closely together. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. do you visit churches as well, or he visits churches, or both of you visit churches? Yeah, I think we we would both do. In some of Steve's uh, more focused work that he's doing now, he's not so much in the churches. Yeah. Um, where I would spend a lot of my time in the churches. Okay. Um, and in community groups, um, but we still work very very closely. We had together. Steve here, and uh, obviously we've known of Compassion for many years. Yeah. And we Menorah are great supporters. Yeah. Mm. And we were surprised that we we had such a great response from a small community here. Okay. Percentage wise, it was you know big. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, How so, good. yeah, it was good. We we just actually received um, some uh, letters from our sponsored children. We we have three children of our own. The fourth yeah. one is is on its way. Yeah, okay. So I'm gonna catch up with you. Um, yeah, uh, you can't you can't run away from me. <laughs> and uh, we at the moment we sponsor three kids. Yeah, uh, in Indonesia. Okay. And we received uh, recently we just received some drawings from them and letters from them beautiful it's fantastic because they mm. have kids draw and then they send it to them mm. so and sometimes we pray for them and it's just beautiful yeah i mean and you would know this from the relationship that you have but the need that is out there is so great oh you know and especially with what covid has brought to a lot of the developing countries yeah um we just don't know the half of it bro yeah yeah I, uh, I I have a heart for Indonesia because I've been there many times. You know, okay. since two thousand and five, we've been going there. Yeah. In tribal communities. Okay. So wow. So we, we sponsor churches, schools there, evangelists, pastors. So I've been there almost every year. Wow. Until recently. <laughs> Until last year. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were actually going to go with compassion to mm. Sumba. Last year, but okay. obviously because of COVID, it was cancelled. Yeah. So we were going to go with Compassion there. Yeah, fantastic. And I was going to meet some of these kids that we yeah, sponsored. Yeah, So it would have been great. Yeah, well, great. hopefully the time will come. Yeah. Yeah. So where does your story begin? Does it begin in Australia or in no, Malaysia? No, no. Singapore? Singapore. Okay. Yeah, that's where I was born and raised. My mum and dad also were born and raised there, stayed there the whole life up until uh, 1987 when I was six years old. And mum and dad made the move to Perth here How in How many of you in the family? Just so my sister and I and mum and dad, so the four of us. So sister, older, younger? Two years older. Okay. Um, Close bond? Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. Unfortunately, she got um, all the the brains and the sporting abilities. All the genes went to the firstborn. Sporting abilities. She's amazing, man. Honestly, she's, a, oh, she's what amazing. What uh, whatever she wants so she just oh. dominates at it okay it's really annoying she still plays uh she does yeah she's she's doing a lot of like gym work now just for strength yeah um but she was like a very very good netballer um she did swimming she was amazing at track and field uh she was really good at basketball Like honestly it was like it was really frustrating <laughs> t-ball um, wow. But yeah, that no, was awesome. We had great relationships. Great what about relationship. academically? Yeah, phenomenal. So um, she graduated from UWA, one of the yeah. local universities, with yeah. a PhD in microbiology and biochemistry. Ouch. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think the book that what she did as her final dissertation is still used as a reference book in the library there. Like, it's an amazing piece of work. Wow. I made it to the acknowledgement section. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, great. I'll take that's that. great. You're I in the book. It, I made in it in the, the book. book. I made it in the book. But um, yeah, no, she's amazing, man. She's a real gift. Yeah. 
So who promoted sports in, uh, in this uh, sort of in academics in the family of your parents? Yeah, so, um, so mom is one of eight, so very big family. Yeah. Um, and with the way that their side of the family, or that side of the family made their way to Singapore, um, you know, that it wasn't really high society stuff. They no. made their way actually illegally to Singapore. They were originally from West Pakistan. Yes. Um, so the story that I've been told is they made their way as refugees through a place called St. John's Island to get to Singapore. Okay. And on my dad's side of the family, they made their way to Singapore because my, my dad's father actually worked for uh, the British Navy. Yes. So he was posted there yeah. as um, part of the whole colonial setup and everything else. And, um, and so mum's family is just like a real story of... I just struggle yes. of what my grandparents on that side of the family did to, to get all of her siblings, you know, through schooling sure. and business and everything else. And now each one of those eight are extremely influential people, you know, within their spheres of society where they find themselves. Wow. Quite phenomenal, really. Yeah. Um, we've got aunties that have run TV shows. We've got uncles that have worked at very high levels of government. One is still the Brigadier General of the Singapore Army. Whoa. Like, they're doctors and lawyers. Like, it's, it's phenomenal to see what my grandparents did to provide that platform for my uncles and aunties. Yes. It's an amazing story. And on my dad's side, um, him, his dad went back to India to sell a whole lot of the family land holdings mm-hmm. and then settle in Singapore. Yes. Um, but his father actually never made his way back to Singapore. So as far as we know, his life was taken while he was in India, uh, wanting to get rid of the family land holdings. And so none of the assets passed through. Yeah, probably Um, some misfortune there. Yeah, yep. And so my dad left school at a very, very early age to take on uh, a full-time trade Mm -hmm. to be able to support his family. So I think my dad left school when he was about 11 or 12 years old and started working from that point to support his family. Yeah, in Singapore. Yep. So air conditioning and refrigeration is what he's done since he was 12, man. Nice. Yep. And so my parents wanted to come to Perth. I think looking at where society was headed in Singapore. Yes. um, So focused on academic and having and having and having... And, you know, mum had one of her brothers that was over here in Perth and was just looking at the lifestyle of his kids and then there's a family and she's like, I think I want that for my kids more than the rat race, you know. And so the encouragement for sports and extracurricular stuff, it was like, this is the reason we came to Perth. To play footy. Well, just, oh, basketball. Basketball. (laughs) But, you know, to have a childhood. Yeah. uh, To not be so caught up in tutoring and language studies and multiple instruments and academics, 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 but actually just to go and play. Yeah. So that's what we were able to do and encouraged to do when we were younger. And I'm super grateful. So for, for you coming here was a bliss. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was. An do you remember gift. much of Singapore? Ah, uh, I definitely remember the food. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing food. I remember the family. Um, and we've gone back. Yeah. You know, on and off because we've still got a lot of family there. But I've got nothing but fond memories of Singapore. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And you adjusted easy here. No, not at all. Not at all. So Hindu family, this is how I was raised. Um, oh, you were raised as a Hindu, they weren't Christian? No, not at all. Okay. No, not at all. Um, Even your mum? Uh, the whole family, yeah. So and mum and dad were very... Not, from very, Pakistan, usually they're Islam. Uh, they're yeah, which is why they fled, because as a Hindu family in a Muslim majority area, they were experiencing some pretty severe persecution. Okay. So that's why they fled. Okay. 
Um, so Hinduism on my mum's side, and my dad and his family were practicing like Sikhs, so the yeah. other major religion. So he's from North India more. Yeah, so Punjab, that sort okay. of area. Yeah. Um, but mum was uh, has always been, I guess, very spiritual, very that way inclined. Sure. Um, dad just work, work, work to support family. It's what he's done since he was a yeah. preteen. Uh, and so when we came to Perth, um, you know, they had an altar set up in the back room of the house. And oh. It was like, it was just what, it was the rhythm, it was what we did, man. Yeah. It's just, it was very normal for us. And were you worshipping as well or they didn't? Uh, yeah, we were learning much. a lot and mum and dad were sharing as much as they could. And they really and what language were you speaking at home? So English primarily. Mum and dad, when they didn't want my sister and I to know what they were talking about, they would speak either in Malay or, or in Hindi. Yeah. Um, so they both spoke Hindi. Yeah. And a bit of Malay. Yes. Yeah, okay. dad spoke probably more Malay. Mum spoke a little bit. And then mum would speak a bit more Hindi than dad. But they would just talk in their own little their own little language. Enough so you can uh, We had no understand. idea what was going on. Okay. What's for dinner? Um, yeah, but that's how... That was a, that was us being raised. And then uh, first coming to Perth... No, it wasn't easy at all. I remember this story my dad shared with me. He got a job in one of the air conditioning companies here locally. Yeah. Um, and because he's just so good at what he does, man. Mm-hmm. Um, this and company, in Singapore, he would have churned through the jobs. Oh, just, yeah. I mean, no mucking around. Yeah. Fast. You had to work, otherwise, yeah. you wouldn't make money. Yeah. And so the company that he got taken on by yeah. um, recognized this because they just saw their bottom line just going up. <laughs> it was just like this guy was a gift to them. Yeah. And so they, you know, he got promoted very quickly um, and got to the point where he was sort of, you know, working towards administration, but sort of organizing stuff. He was just so knowledgeable. Um, But there was this one incident at one of the first companies that he worked with and the boss actually came to him and said, his name's Barg, B-H-A-G, like a a pommy hand Barg, like a Barg. Um, And so they actually said to him, like, I'll paraphrase, but mate, if you... um, if you could just call yourself John, it'll just be easier for everyone. <laughs> you know, and so, like, so he did. No, no, he he quit on the spot. Oh, yeah, he's like, offended. I'm like, yeah, well, why, why, I don't need to change my name. I'm good at what I do. Why should I need to change my name for anyone? What's that all about? Just see you later. Left yeah. the company straight away. He's yeah. dad's always been. He knows what he stands for. Yeah, and um, if you're going to come against that, we'll see you later. That's it. Yeah, no mucking around. Wow. So he left, um, and then. Mum really struggled with the adjustment from Singapore to Perth um, and then started struggling with a whole lot of mental health stuff as a result. So, um, yeah. No community, no friends. Yeah. Um, Got to the point where she'd actually decided that she was going to end it all. Oh. Yeah. So it got pretty pretty bad, man. Yeah. Which is actually where, um, I guess, our family's journey towards the Christian faith actually started. Yeah. So... um, So at six you came here. Did you do any primary school in Singapore? Uh, not that I can recall, no, no. No, my sister did, but I didn't go Where did you go here? First school? First school was in Mandra. Oh. Yes. Yeah, back in Mandra. We were in Mandra for about nine months. Because yes. that's where my uncle was that sponsored us to come across. Sure. And then we moved to a suburb called Thornley. Yeah. Um, and then went to the local school, Yale Primary School. Uh, nice. Went there and, um, yeah. There you go. Nice. Yeah. And what sports were you playing at school? 
Um, basketball and footy would be the two main ones. Um, really and, loving basketball, yeah? Yeah, man. That's what I stayed with all the way through high school and and played, played yeah, for a team. And... Yeah, yeah, I played a lot and I loved it. Yeah. Had aspirations for it to be a career, but no, it didn't eventuate. And But here we are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's the high school did you go to? Uh, Rehoboth was the oh, high school that Christian, I went to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a Christian high so school. So by then, obviously, something has uh, shifted in your parents that they took you to Rehoboth. Yeah, yeah. The big shift came when I was about uh, 10 years old. So we'd been uh, now in Australia for four years. Yeah. And mum got to that stage, like I was saying, struggling with mental health. And it was like, she just, it, wasn't gonna, it wasn't going well. So the move here had a big impact on her. Huge. Yeah, mm. huge impact. And so she decided, uh, I'll share the story with you, but essentially as a good Asian housewife, she decided that I better go and load up the, uh, the fridge and the freezer and the pantry before I go and do what I'm planning. So at least the family will have food. So she put my sister and I in the car and went down to the local Asian grocery store. Did the um, shopping. Did the shopping, mate. She was walking through, just getting stuff off the shelf into the trolleys and just crying, knowing this was going to be her final grocery shop. And then as she was doing that grocery shop, it was this um, this Korean lady who just walked up to my mum out of the blue, yeah. just gave her a massive hug and just said, sister, you don't know who I am, but you just need to know that Jesus loves you. And mum's like, what are you talking about? This is Jesus. And uh, anyway, so mum comes out of the shop with like a trolley full of groceries and, and this Korean lady. Yeah. And I'm like sitting in the car thinking, mate, you can buy anything at these places. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Anyway, this, this Korean lady comes home with us. With you? Yeah. In a car? And every single day for two weeks straight, yeah. she's sitting in our living room just sharing the gospel with my mum. Oh. Look, we never met this woman before. Yeah. And she never... Besides the first interaction of you just need to know that Jesus loves you, the way that she unpacked that for my mum over the next two weeks was she described Jesus as light, yeah. love, yeah. and warmth. They're the three words. Warmth. warmth like warmth. Yeah. They're the three words that she used over and over again to describe who yeah. Jesus is. Anyway, two weeks straight, every single day in our living room. And then there's like a couple of days that go past and like she she's not there. Yeah. And so mum's like, I've got to find this lady. I, so need, she, she goes, I, need, I need the three. Come on, what's going on? So she's going back to the local grocery store. She's like, you know, trying to describe this Korean lady. She's like short and Asian looking. Like that really narrows it down, mum. Yeah. Like, you know, she couldn't. It's an Asian grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> You're all short and Asian looking. Um, but there was just no way to track her down. And so then there was two weeks where we had no contact with this woman at all. Yes. But mum, over those first two weeks of discipleship, yeah. And then the two weeks of absence, during those four week period, like mum's trajectory of improvement was just like off the charts, bro. Hey. It was amazing. And then and then there was this one night, and I remember it like I was there even right now as I'm sharing it with you. I love sharing this story because it brings yeah. me back into that moment. Uh, I wake up in the early hours of the morning to my mum screaming. Oh. So young fella, desperately in love with his mum, hearing this coming out of the room. It's like, what is going on? So I come out and dad comes out in the room. It's like, mum will be fine. Just go back to bed. I'm like, man, mum is not fine. Like, what's happening? Anyway, it felt like an eternity, but it was only a couple of minutes. And then all of a sudden, the screaming stopped. Yeah. And mum comes running out of the room through our small three-by-one house in Thornley. And all she's saying is, 
I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm like, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm no, like, I'm not. What's going on? <laughs> and then, you know, so that night passes. I wake up the next morning. I'm eating my wheat bix before school. And mum's like, you know, pretty much just dancing in the kitchen. Everything's different, man. And then there's a, there's a knock on the door. Go, a lady. Mate, there she is. We've been looking everywhere for her for the last two weeks. Have not been able to track her down. Yeah. The morning after this episode, she's on our front doorstep again. Yeah. Son, is mum home? Can I see her? I'm like, of course. We've been looking everywhere. Where have you been? Come on in, come on in. So she comes and sits at the table. I'm still eating my wheat bix and mum's chatting away. And she looked like she'd been really sick, man. So yeah. I thought, I mean, that's why she hasn't been here. She lost a lot of weight, was looking all gaunt and just didn't look well. And then she stops my mum and she says, sister, I'm so proud of you. You did it. Yeah. And she's like, did what? And then she recounts my mother's nightmare as if she was a fly on the wall. Oh. And so in my mum's dream, she, the big family, one of eight, and plus yeah. her mum and dad, she was being held onto by this now very influential family within Hindu, Indian, Singapore society, right? Yes. But what she could see ahead of her was light, love and warmth. And she's like, that's what Nansan's been talking about. That's who it is that I need. I need to get there. She was trying to break yeah. away from her family, but she couldn't, which is why she was screaming. Yeah. And when she finally broke away from her family and got to that place, that's when she woke up and that's when she was saying, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Powerful. And so she's, and Auntie Nancy's like, sister, I've got to take you to the local church. Mm. So she took my mum that Sunday to the local church, which was Thornley Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. My mum gave her life to Jesus straight away. And for me, my journey of faith was like, I just want what mum's got because this is ridiculous. Like yeah. who she is now as yeah. a result of this life and this love and this warmth. Like I, I just need that. Yeah. And uh, that's how our family's journey into the Christian faith really and started. And your dad, how did he take it? Um, I... Not very well. That was good enough for mum. That's fine. But I think the, the reason it was really tough for dad was uh, a couple of years later when mum shared with her family, like, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus now. And this is what it's meant for me. This is my story. Yeah. The result was, um, there's a front door. Don't ever come back. Oh. And so when my dad saw how my mum essentially got cut off from the family because she chose Jesus... Jesus. Yeah, um, I think knowing Dad's story and how he'd given up schooling to provide, and yeah, like he just he didn't want to go through that sort of like push, Separation. you know. So he's like, "There's no way I want any if that if that's going to happen here. Like, I don't want a piece of that." And so it was it was many years before Dad got to that point of he himself saying, "There's there is no other way." He did get to that point, but it oh, was many many years later. Yeah, it's wonderful. Mm. And when did you surrender? How old were you? Do you remember? Yeah, man. I was 10 years old. Oh, then? Yeah, it was right then. It was like literally like a month later. So in I, Yeah. On a, I kept going. So, man, I, at the age of 10, I would go in the mornings with mum and I'd walk to the church in the night times with her and I'd go to both services every Sunday. I just wanted more of this stuff that was changing my mum. Yeah. And so the minister at the time, uh, a, a gentleman who I just loved the guy, John Bond, he's still here in our city today doing amazing work, not just in Perth, but across the globe. Yeah. And he was the minister at the church at that time. And I remember on those Sunday nights, like running down to the front, even before he'd finished preaching. You'd answer the altar call every night. I'm, mate, I'm here. I'm in. Yeah. Like, I'm ready. Sign yeah. me up. Yeah. 
Um, and so I got to the stage of doing this multiple weeks on where they actually got me to meet with one of the elders of the church to go through like a discipleship course. So you actually yeah. understand what you're saying here. And um, got through that like, you know, eight week course in three weeks. And I just couldn't, I couldn't devour enough of this stuff, man. And was baptized not long after. And then I wow. haven't looked back since. Yeah. And uh, you didn't rebel in your teenage years? Oh, rebellion looked very different. I wouldn't say that I didn't rebel, but I was a I was a polite rebel. Yeah, uh, never got into like the drinking and the drugs and the parties. I never got into any of that because it was all basketball. Like I had to stay you, fit. for You basketball. had a huge respect for your mum, though. Massive, yeah, and so for you, the elders within the community. You wouldn't yeah. have said you, you oh, I didn't up. want to. So you had those uh, that influence, that cultural influence from Singapore, uh, respecting the elders, respecting the family. So you yeah. grew up with a lot of respect. I think a lot of Eastern cultures just have that, you know, that, that honor and shame. Yeah. It's a big part of how they do life, right? Yeah. And so it's not even just your immediate family, but no, I remember really. traveling in Singapore and you get into the taxi of an older man and you just call him uncle. Yeah, or sir. Or... Yeah, he's like, oh, uncle, we just need to go here. And it's always polite. It's always, yeah. do, you know, it's, they've lived life, man. They've got yeah. stuff to learn from them. Yeah. So you put yourself at their feet and you learn from them. Yeah. That's just how I was raised. And that's how I'm trying to raise my kids as well. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm. So, um, when you finished high school, you went to uni? I did. I went straight to university, yet yeah, from high school. Okay. Yeah. What did you study? Uh, education? Yeah, I did secondary education and accounting at Curtin University. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Why so, accounting? Uh, well, I was running my first business as I was going through uni, and um, dad's always been one to, uh, how does he say, if, there's, if you need to pay someone to do something, you should just learn to do it yourself so you can do it yourself. That's right. So going through the business stuff and knowing all the back end that needed to be happening, I'm like, well, I've got to learn this for myself, don't I? So that was a big motivation. Um, but also, when I actually went to university, I, I went to enroll to be a phys ed teacher. Okay. And so I got a place at Curtin University. And so I went to orientation day to enroll in all my phys ed teaching yes. classes. Yeah. Only to find out they didn't offer phys ed teaching at Curtin University. I did my research well. And so I went in the morning to become a phys ed teacher and I came home in the afternoon knowing that I was going to do a double degree in education and accounting. And mum okay. and dad were quite surprised. But They were happy. Oh, there you go. That's, that's the story. Yeah. 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 So I was working at the local cinemas and trying to get this business up and running and studying. What was that business? Oh. Uh, I imported and exported skateboards and clothing for three specific labels based in the US. To Australia? Yeah. Yep, so I had so the distribution what contracts. What were you exporting from here? Uh, so we were importing the goods. So usually the, the clothing would all get made in Thailand. Yeah. And so we would just get it on consignment through Thailand. Sure. Uh, and then we had the contracts for all of those three companies for Australasia. Mm-hmm. So, so you were exporting in the region? Well, trying to, sending out samples and trying to get business up and going. And so I signed uh, the distribution contracts for seven years with those labels. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just had a crack, man. So ran that for a few years. And then when I finished university, um, managed to close that business off and hand the contracts on to another group. Um, and then started my teaching degree in 2000, or my teaching career in 2003. Teaching in high schools. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then, when did you meet your wife? Uh, when I was 10 years old. Everything happened at the age of oh, 10. Yeah, 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 so yeah. we've been together for 30 years now. Yeah. Yeah, only girlfriend I've ever had. Married for 20, but been together for uh, Married in 2004, so this year will be 17 years, December okay. 27. 
We'll be uh, 17 So you met years. her when you were 10 at church or where? Uh, we had met at church, but the penny dropped for me on a particular Saturday morning. My mum used to do cleaning jobs to help get some extra money for the family. And so we would go and hang out with this other family that we'd met at the church because they had kids similar age as my sister and I. And so this particular Saturday, we were there with this family. I'd finished the party pies and sausage rolls for lunch. And yeah. I excused myself from the table. was sitting down watching some dinosaur cartoon or something. Yeah. Now I said I love basketball, right? So this is back in the 90s. I was like the massive Ricky Gray's Perth Wildcats fan. So I was like the Indian Fresh Prince. I had the big flat top short back and sides and the big one up the top. Anyway, I'm sitting down there watching this dinosaur cartoon and uh, lying on my stomach. And then Skye, my now wife, she just came and sat next to me. And she just started stroking the flat top. And I'm like, she's the one. Yeah, that was it. That was it. I just knew. And so that Saturday before I left, I wrote my very first love letter and I gave it to her on that Saturday. And there was just been no looking back since, man. She became your girlfriend at the age of... No, 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 no. Dad would not permit that. No. No, no girlfriends. Definitely no boyfriends. When you're going through high school, you've got to focus on your study. Once you get into university, then we can have a conversation. So... um, Yep, I waited. Uh, we went to like, you know, year 10, year 11, year 12 formals together. Same group of friends all through high school. Like we knew we liked each other, but I just wasn't allowed to make anything official. So out of respect for mum and dad, that's what we did. And what was her culture like? Um, she was, yeah, she was just getting frustrated and waiting. Yeah. Yeah, not a very patient waiter, my wife. Um, but on the uh, 11th of March in 1999 was when I officially asked her to be my girlfriend. I finished my first couple of weeks at university. I went to mum and dad and said, right, I'm in uni. I Did started I studying. Are we good? Yeah. And uh, and the response was yes. And so... They, they actually gave you the green light. Yes. And then I went from there. And that was a Thursday afternoon that I asked her. And uh, she came to my basketball game that night as my girlfriend. And uh, uh-huh. five years later, we got engaged. And then we got married. And then we've wow. traveled together and we've ministered together. We still do. And four kids together and just creating an adventure together. How old are the children? My eldest is 13. Okay. And I've got two boys that are very close in age. Uh, one will be turning 11 in August. One just turned nine. And then another girl, six. So girl, boys, girl. Yep. Girls are the bookends. Boys, sandwich in the middle. Nice. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. Wow. So that's the family. That is a beautiful family. Yeah. And where do you serve at the moment? What church are you in? So we are part of Red Door Community Church. In Coburn. In Coburn. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we're part of the family there. Nice. Um, And so, you know, where there's opportunity, we'll we'll definitely minister there. And you live on a farm? Oh. Five acres of Oakford. Yeah. 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 We live on some property. You've done your research, man. No, no, no. I haven't. What's going on here? I think I saw a video or something of you doing push-ups or something. (laughs) Yeah. During COVID or something. Yeah, yeah, I think I did do some push-ups during... There was a lot of things that happened during COVID. So I think uh, you mentioned that you're on a farm yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're on five acres out there and absolutely love it, man. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's nice. Yeah. A it's a long drive from here, though. A lot of maintenance? Um, you got to cut the lawns or there's not much lawns? No, there's a fair bit of lawn, but I love it. it honestly, it's about a couple of hours a week Yeah. for everything. And if you keep on, on top of it all... Yeah, oh, just on a ride-on lawnmower. Yeah. I get my cowboy on, get the big sombrero out there and off I go. But if you just keep, it's like anything, man. If you can just maintain, if you're disciplined with your maintenance, then there's not usually big issues that have to be dealt with. You can sort of And you've got a hobby shed, a man's cave? Uh, Yes. Yeah? Yes. And the boys are in there with you? Yes. Basketball court? 
yes, we've what, just, just painted. Nah, no, it was just like it's like up to about a three point line, but we've okay. just spent the last holidays painting the keyway and the three point line and all that sort of stuff. So we've done that. Are they into basketball as well? Uh, one of the boys is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. One of them's extremely sporty. Uh, and the other one is just extremely creative. So you get him in yeah. front of the camera or doing like gymnastics or any of that sort of stuff, and he's just like a pig in mud. So they're music. all, yeah, all of them love their music. So, uh, what do they play? Um, my eldest one loves to sing. Yeah. Um, my eldest boy loves to play the drums. Mm-hmm. Nathaniel, my oh, eight year old, good Nate. Hey, yeah. oh, we call him Nate. Yeah. Um, but he loves to get on the keyboard. Yeah. Um, and then the youngest one just loves her voice to be heard, so I think she's going to be a singer as well. Do you play? I played a lot of guitar growing up. Yeah. 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 Nice. So we've got a. So there's a bit of worship and music going on in your home? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. All the time. It's alive. It is, man. That's good. Yeah. And the birds in the morning, how, how are you handling those? Yeah, it's noisy. <laughs> the crows. I, I love it though. Four o'clock, even just this morning, I'll show you a photo afterwards, but just even, I went on a walk this morning with our dog and. Just coming back and just the, you know, the the low cloud that was hanging yeah. there, but then the sun that was breaking through, and you see the rays through the trees. And I love mornings. Oh man, it's I'm just a morning glorious. person in a sense. I uh, I think so many people miss out the most beautiful time of the day, the sunrise. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And on the farm, obviously, it's it's exponentially nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. We've got a big kitchen and doors in our. Uh, a big window and doors in our kitchen. Yeah. So we just have like just views outside. I tell the kids my favorite color is the gold of the sun hitting the green of the leaves on the tree. Yeah. Whatever that color is, yeah. that's my favorite. Like I just, I never burnt, get sick of staring. Burnt orange kind I, of yeah. brown. Yeah. I just, I just never get sick of staring at it. It's beautiful. Nice. They say that our creation is God's theater. There's no need to put the TV on. No. Just get outside. Yeah, we're not big on TV. I mean, the kids watch occasionally some cartoons, but we I don't watch television. Yeah. I don't remember watching TV. Mm. I did when I was younger, but probably for the last 18 years. Not much. <laughs> not much. No. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I do miss a bit of soccer, though. Soccer is your thing, eh? Hey? Uh, yeah. I mean, you grew up in Europe, you know. What's your team? Uh, in England? Yeah. Arsenal. Okay. They're not doing that well. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. This, this season. Um so with compassion at the moment, mm. um, you've only been in this role for a couple of years. Uh, not even. I started on the 28th of January last year. Okay, so yeah. just over a year. Yeah. And uh, what attracted you to this position? Um, I, the work that I'd been doing with our brother Steve prior to joining Compassion, there was a lot that we were doing together in the city. Yeah. And some of the way that Compassion was, was working alongside local church... Um, was just it was really affirming of the work that we were doing. Yeah. And so I got to the stage in July of 2019 where the projects that I was working on were coming to an end. Yeah. So I knew that as of the end of 2019 that I was going to be looking for some other work. Um, and that's sort of where the, the conversation with Compassion started. It was like in November of 2019. So pretty much you were invited to come on board. Uh, I was invited to have a coffee with yeah. some of the team. Nice. Um, and I said, well, if they're paying, I'll come. Where are you? Where is Compassion Office? Where is it? The office is in Burswood in the city. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, man, we don't, we yeah. get in there one, one day a week, really, yeah. the whole team's together. Otherwise, we just, we know what we need to do. Yeah. And we're out and about. We're out there. Yeah. Yeah. Legacy. Let's talk legacy. Come on. 
obviously you're a legacy builder not just in the family but mm. also in the community you've done a lot mm. of work in the community mm. you've also you've done a, your master studies in mm. uh, in divinity haven't you yes yeah, i did masters in theological studies yeah theological studies yeah uh, what what's the legacy that you're building at the moment in the kingdom Mm, that's a great question. Um, well, the way that I would define legacy, first and foremost, um, would be uh, the planting of trees today whose shade and fruit I may never get to enjoy. Yeah. But what are the trees that we're planting today so that others can enjoy? So, you know, working in education for all this time, like the education system was planted by a lot of our... Our forefathers... Honestly, like, you know, in regards to tertiary study, yeah. Christian education, yeah. you look at hospitals, you look at all that, and so much within government and society, so much of that has been, those are trees planted by faithful servants of, of Jesus yeah. over over many years. Well, most universities were Christian universities. They, they were around, you know, yeah. they were set up yeah. like that. Yeah. And so uh, what, are the, what are the trees that we're planting today? You yeah. know, what, what is yeah. that? And so I would say... Um, the thing that takes a lot of my time and energy and focus now would be, like I said before, helping others to recognize that the kingdom of God is worth living and dying for. Now, I use that terminology very carefully. So yeah. I'm not saying the local church is worth living and dying for. I'm not saying that the the local programs or services at the local church Even is ministry. Doing. Right. It's, it's it's the kingdom of God. Now, all of, all of those things that we've just listed are part, part of, of the kingdom. Important part. Yeah. It's not the be all and end all though. Yeah. And so the kingdom of God is worth living and dying for. That's that is a legacy that I want to leave behind. If anything is going to get written on my tombstone, I'd love it to be that. It was this brother was committed to yeah. the kingdom of God that was worth living and dying for. That's yeah, that's what I want to be known for. Now, worth living and dying for. What's easier? Living for it or dying for it? What's easier? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think any of it is easy. Of course it's not. But you know, a lot of people would rather die for Christ than live for Christ. <laughs> so I went through some... I mean, I, over the years, I've been through some experiences where um, I would say that I've stared death in the face. Yeah. The first of which I and can remember... And that is one of the greatest gifts you can get in this life, on this side of eternity. 100%. 100%. Because it does ground you. Yeah. The first of those experiences, I would say, was in 2003 mm -hmm. in Zimbabwe in Africa. And the most recent one was in uh, on, the, uh, on the 13th and the 14th of May last year. It was wow. the most recent one, which is when I was diagnosed with cancer. Last year? Yeah, yep. And so I would say in, uh, with what happened in 2003 over in Zimbabwe in Africa, that was my first real engagement of, you know, Am I willing to say yes for Jesus, knowing that I may lose my life? Mm. To be honest, it was a brown trouser moment for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really was. But that was the first time in my life where in a, in a moment, I had to choose to say yes or no. And so that was, um, that just made things very real. Yeah. And then last year in May with, with what's transpired and what continues to transpire, Again, it's this recognition of, like, what what really is important here. Yeah. 
And so the question of legacy came up and um, I remember on the Monday, which was the 18th of May, walking down our driveway to go to my dad's car because he was taking me in for surgery three and a half days after being diagnosed. Wow, and, that was um, fast. Very fast, man. Story for another time. But uh, I remember walking down our driveway and I'm saying to myself, don't look back at the house and get turned into a pillar of salt. You know, like just, just charge forward, man. Just charge forward. And I remember praying as I was going down our driveway saying, Father, if, like, if this is my full stop, yeah. Like, I'm so at peace with you. Like, I'm, I'm coming home. Yeah. And I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. Not easy. I've four beautiful kids that I still want to do so much with. I've got my wife that I want to grow old with. There's just so much more, right? Yeah. But if it's time to come home, if this is a full stop, then I'm coming home. And we're good. But if this is a comma, uh, Father, strengthen me because I'm going to come back harder than ever before. And in that moment, as I was praying, as I was walking down our driveway to get to my dad's car, just within, I just felt Holy Spirit ministering to me and saying, like, son, like with me, there's never a full stop. Hallelujah. You know, and in that moment, I was like, what? This, it's so true. I put, I, I put so much energy and focus on the here and now. So often I forget that the God that I've given my life to doesn't have a beginning or an end. Yeah. There's never a full stop, bro. He's the Alpha and the Omega. There's never a full stop. It's just, it's just constant commas, and the commas usually come at major learning opportunities. Yeah. So this is just another comma. So whatever happens, then oh Father, so be it. Yeah. But you're right. There is never a full stop with you. It's just game on. It's just game on. It's just half time, or you know. Yeah, and so drink like, time. I went into that surgery. Time out. So relaxed, man. So I remember lying down there and was it a, a very invasive surgery? Yeah, could've, it was pretty major. Pretty major been surgery. Lethal. Hey, could have been lethal. Uh, yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, look, even with what they were saying, and the the oncologists and the surgeons have all been like, um, "What triggered this? Everything happened so quickly. It's not very common." Um, like I had the scans on that Thursday when I had the formal diagnosis and then so between the Thursday afternoon and the Monday morning so three and a half days like the tumour that they had identified like had doubled in size in those three days Whoa, man. very aggressive yeah yep so how did they pick it up how did you pick it up because <laughs> um, it can be so easily miss, missed yeah that's, you know, it's just a crazy story um I I I I can't explain yeah. everything that happened. Yeah. I I'm I'm very cautious of sharing the story. No, that's fine. Look. Because like I just know that there are many people who love the Lord who get yeah. diagnosed with cancer and the outcome is very different to the story sure. that I share. So like, yeah. I'm really sensitive to that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm happy to share the story in person. Of course. Um but I'm just I'm really conscious of that. Yeah. And so look what what all I said to the doctors was I can't really explain what has happened. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't really feel the need to. I just know that I'm not to take any credit for what's transpiring. Yes. And that's just, that's been it. And honestly, the greatest lesson through all of this, and you're right, this has been an amazing gift. Mm. And I would say to people that in my now 40 years on this planet, uh, cancer last year has been one of the greatest gifts that I've ever received. I've just hated the wrapping paper. Yeah. But the lessons that it has taught me. Yeah. The conversations that it has afforded me to have, especially with my loved ones, oh. and this clarity around legacy—what we were just talking yeah. on—what is it that I, 
I don't want to just drift, man, and yeah. just carry that bucket of seeds through yeah. life and never be planting anything, but That's just try right. and get to That's the right. end. I don't want that to be my story. No, we have right. to be planting. Yeah. There is work to be done, and we're invited into this. We're not meant to drift through life. No. They're not meant to be reckless either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, man, it's meant to be an adventure. And especially when you choose to give your life to Christ, it's not about comfort and safety and security and having all the answers. It's almost about, like, it's game on. Yeah. It's risky. It's utter obedience. At the end of the day, it's that's that's it. And you're almost like you're almost walking blindly. Yeah. Like some of the stuff, even that we're planting right now. Yeah. I've got no idea where things are going to no. go. But as we feel God leading us, yeah. We're just going to keep stepping forward and keep yeah. saying yes to Him. Yeah. And if things fall flat on their face, amazing lessons learned. Yeah. And if things grow for whatever reason, it's all for Him. It's for no, no one yeah. else and nothing else. There's no failure. Yeah, it's it's you know, getting it's, to that point where you recognize it's, it's that. not a it's not performance driven. Mm. It's obedience driven. Mm. You just do your part. How it grows, how much it expands, it's irrelevant. That's so countercultural, though, Nathaniel. Yeah, I know because it, we, even we, within the church, we're it's countercultural. We taught to measure. I spoke to John Finkeldy. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, mm. and I said, "Is it true that in church is still the greatest measurements? You know, the the the." bums on seats or the you know the money that comes in the bank and unfortunately that's what they can how many people do you lead sure. and it's all we shouldn't be performance driven because discipleship is not performance driven even your your the story with you and your wife or the story with you and your children it has absolutely nothing to do with performance so why is the church driven by performance mm. when it shouldn't be? So you talk about discipleship. That yeah. would be one of the key seeds that I would focus on planting, yeah. yeah? I think that's actually what it's all about at the end of the day. Journeying with those around you to draw closer to the Father's heart. It's, yeah. it's, what, it's what our focus has to be. And to so properly, properly bring them into the kingdom, not just to save them, but to actually have them as warriors of the kingdom. Yeah. It, it's it's about that relationship with the Father. Yeah. You have to get intimate and close with Him. That's that's where it's at. Yeah. And like, honestly, I'm sitting here before you now saying that, and as I'm saying that to you, within me, I'm like, and I just want to keep getting closer. Yeah. Like, I'm not there yet. No. I don't think I'll ever get there until yeah. He calls me home, right? But, but even, even how do we get closer to, to the Lord? Not by doing something. Mm. It's actually by doing less, by allowing mm. more. It's by not resisting Him. Yeah. You have that intimacy with Him. Yeah. It's not by doing. It's just positioning to receive, basically. Yeah. And allowing. Yeah. And then just going with, you know, with His leadership. Yeah. I was, um, in regards to discipleship and what you've just touched on here, I was, I was taught this at a young age. Um, this idea of discipleship, it was explained to me through this particular story. Uh, not a true story, but yeah. Okay, as a lesson, there's a young boy, uh, medieval times, who would make his way to school every single day using the same path, mm-hmm. and this path would take him past a stonemason's shop every single day. Yeah, and he'd look in the door, and at the back on the workshop's table, he would see this giant granite block. Boulder. Right, and all he heard was this stonemason just tick, tick, tick. just chipping away at this block. And weeks and months would go past and he was just getting bored of taking this track because he'd look in, it's the same big boulder, nothing's really changing. So he changed his path for quite a while. And then on one particular day, he decided to go back to that original path to see if anything had changed. And so he got to this stonemason shop and looked in 
and he was stopped dead in his tracks and he ran into the shop because all he could see on that table now was not this boulder, but this ferociously carved lion wow. on this workshop bench. Yeah. So he ran into the stonemason and he asked the stonemason, where did this lion come from? This is amazing. And the stonemason responded to the young boy saying, son, it was in that granite block all along. We just had to draw it out. Yeah. So the idea around that linking to discipleship is that within everyone, yeah. there is that ferocious lion, yeah. right? It's, it may not be a lion, but it's it, something unique within yeah. everyone. And the process of discipleship is to enter into a space together where one allows the other to just chip away, to yeah. draw that out. Yeah. And it's just, it's that, it's whatever that is divine within to be amplified as you draw closer to the heart of the Father and you're journeying in that intimacy, that's the chipping away. Yeah. And so some of that is not easy, man. Some of the stuff that we need to, to yeah. get chipped off yeah. is not easy. No. We have to continually, what I would say, is die to the flesh. Like yeah. it's, 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 it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. And there is just so much that surrounds us in the world today that wants to add to that flesh. Yeah. Not take it away. It's, it's, it's actually to dress up the boulder. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's almost to cover the boulder, to make a tent on top of the boulder. How, so, okay, I don't, or a house. I, don't, I don't want to be offensive with this, but you've brought this out of me tonight. Um, in regards to these metrics that we're using, how we're measuring success in the church, yeah. how much are we dressing those boulders in the church? How big is our boulder? Look at this. Yeah. And we want to measure it by that yeah. rather than look at how we've chipped away and look at what... Yeah. Um, so you just, yeah, thing, I, I, I do believe that things are need to change. Yeah. Um, and I'll say that with the greatest of love and respect because it's, it is the church that my savior died for <laughs> and rose again and yeah. ascended. Like it's, yeah. it's all for the bride. Yeah. So I say this with the utmost of respect. Um, and it's because of that love that I have for the bride that I just refuse to, let Give the status up. quo be. Yeah. Or, there's just, yeah. there's just, there's so. That's why you had pagan Christianity in your library. <laughs> it's an amazing text. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's all these, and yeah, as we journey towards that point, I don't know where it is we need to land. I don't know. Yeah. What I do know is where we are right now is yeah. not where we should stay. No. So my commitment to brothers and sisters out there, anyone who's listening to this, is. Yeah. Like, I, I want to journey as a family yeah. from where we are now yeah. to where the Father wants us to be. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like, I'm not 100% sure. I've got some ideas. Yeah, I'll throw them out there. Yeah. I'm sure others have got ideas. I want to listen to them. And those will change. 100% they will. Yeah. They will, but for sure. But it's a start. Yeah. And I think the key is, uh, I often you know, ask this, uh, to, I ask people this about legacy building. But I think it's not so much about what you build. It's more about what you shift. Mm. You know, what do you shift in, in this patch of history that you are here on mm. this earth? Mm. As you said, what trees do you plant? What do you shift? How do you change the landscape mm. of, of, you know, society mm. or, or of, you know, family life or uh, compassion or mm. this church, mm. you know? And it's through bits and pieces like this, yeah. you know? Uh, nothing... I know that in the economy of God, nothing is wasted. Mm. Nothing is wasted. Mm. And there are people that just basically get up every morning, 
they watch those beautiful leaves in the sunrise and they just go in the trenches and humbly work for the king mm. and they chisel away they chip away come on and i think that's that's what you're doing yeah and that is absolutely beautiful mm. Thanks so much for sharing your story oh, at Kingdom you Stories time. from Down Under. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for your time and the opportunity to share. Beautiful. Well, you've heard an amazing story from Amit. Uh, what a beautiful journey. What a beautiful life. And just to have him here with us, alive and well, even though he's battled one of the ugliest diseases that exists out there. But we can draw near to God and we can draw the best out of people as well. So get going. Um, just as... He's building this legacy of our discipleship. I pray that you engage in that uh, discipleship building as well. Mm-hmm. If you love this content, do share it. Uh, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And uh, let us know how wonderful these stories are. And we look forward to seeing you next week at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.